Hello and welcome to Level Up with Shay. I am a comedian and lover of personal growth here to share stories on my Level Up journey, to bring other fascinating and inspirational people to share their story, and to help you realize your potential to fulfill your biggest dreams. I am so thrilled to bring you today's guest, Kia Barnes. Kia Barnes is a stand-up comedian as well as an advocate for equality and diversity within the LGBTQ community. A former teacher and researcher, Kia chaired Atlanta Public Schools LGBTQ Task Forces Curriculum and Policy Board, and she also sits on the Fulton County District Attorney's LGBTQ Inclusion Board. Kia also served on the city's first LGBTQ advisory board under Mayor Keisha Bottoms. Kia left the classroom in 2014 due to some discriminatory behavior amongst her peers after finding out she was gay, which we get to talk about in the podcast. But leaving the classroom allowed her to pursue a career in stand-up comedy, being featured on Netflix, BET, LOL Network, Pop Sugar, NBC, and more. She has collaborated to cultivate queer safe spaces with numerous LGBTQ organizations and events, including the Out GA Business Alliance, the Human Rights Campaign, Georgia Equality, and Atlanta Pride, just to name a few. She was also instrumental in producing Atlanta's first Equality March in commemoration of the Pulse Orlando tragedy. Before the pandemic, Kia produced two nationally touring LGBTQ engagements, the Les Laugh Comedy Show and the Andro Fashion Show, which she hopes to bring back in the future. And now she produces a monthly live show called Soulful Sundays. So go check that out if you are in the Atlanta area. I'm so excited for you to hear her story. I was inspired by Kia seeing her move all around Atlanta, producing fantastic shows and putting less represented people in her community on stage. She is a person with a strong and purposeful voice that more people need to hear. So please welcome to Level Up with Shay, Kia Barnes. Welcome everybody to Level Up with Shay. I am so excited. I have a hilarious, talented guest here, Kia Barnes. Hello. Kia Barnes or Kia Comedy? What do you go by? Uh, it's Kia Barnes. Comedy is one of the dope things that I do and I love and enjoy. Uh, so when I'm trying to run some jokes, they might call me Kia Comedy, but I go by Kia Barnes. Okay, great. I'm so fascinated because you do comedy plus a whole bunch of other things. And sometimes I think for me, I think I've struggled a little bit with, well, you have to be one thing, right? Focus on one thing, but there's different parts of us. There's lots of parts of us that we need to express and put out into the world. So I'm excited to dig into that. And how this podcast goes, I usually start like early life. So I kind of want to get into that. So I read in an article, you said you had a crush on a girl in kindergarten. You've always liked women. (laughs) You did. Latoya Sands. Latoya Sands. You know who you are, girl. Latoya. So you missed out. You missed out. And you did beauty pageants, you were a ridiculous overachiever, and you always used humor to cover it up, to cover your your gayness, your queerness. And I feel like I also did that as well. I feel, feel like my humor at the beginning, it was made to make sure everybody was comfortable in a conversation, exactly. right? <laughs> so yeah, can you talk about that a little bit? Like about the humor that you practiced as a young, young person, did that 
do you think propelled you into being a comedian, getting into comedy? Um, well, first of all, it's important to mention that I am number seven of eight kids. So uh, you had to be fighting for your spot. You had to do that. So everything was like, you know, it was, it was a daily battle for attention, even if it was to make sure that they saved me a slice of bacon. So I have always been very outspoken and comfortable around people because I grew up around a whole bunch of people. I have 36 nieces and nephews. So I found my voice at a very early age and we were roasting. My dad is hilarious. Uh, and so I think we probably got a lot of that from him. So I've just always had a sense of humor and I was always a tomboy. And I realized very early on that I was different. And so the humor in a way was like me filling out people, you know, trying to not be abrasive or uh, be seen as like, I don't want you to think I'm flirting. Let me just make you laugh or just, it was a way to like relate and engage with people. And it was like, probably like very much so a security blanket. Like, let me just smooth on in here and let them know, well, I may not want to wear the dresses that you wear or talk about the boys, but I'm going to make you laugh. And if anybody messes with you, I'm going to beat them up. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, that's, uh, that's so similar to how I felt because laughter and humor, it's a universal language. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's like I could talk to anybody and make them laugh and get them on my side pretty much. So I totally relate. So moving on, you went to college. You were in a sorority. Is that right? I am a member of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority yeah. Incorporated. Yes. OK. And so a lot happened. Well, I say it, it kind of happened later on, but you left college for a year. Is that right? Like you left <laughs> your initial college. I did. I left college to do the Walt Disney World College program. So I actually spent a year, I took a break from college for a year and went down to Orlando. And that, first of all, it's a very LGBTQ friendly environment. And I really went down there and found myself. I cut all my hair off. You know, I started dressing like Pat. Uh, you remember Pat from what was that, Mad TV? Yeah, I, I became very androgynous. That was the best androgynous I could do. I had a lot of like khaki pleated pants with a little polo button down. I eventually got into ball caps and I had found myself. Uh, so yeah, I, I went to college. I was in a sorority and a lot of that sorority experience uh, was what made me want to change the scenery because in college, that was the first time I was really experimenting with women and and getting comfortable in myself. And that was not the time to join an organization that told you literally what colors to wear and what we're supposed to say and how we're supposed to dance. And again, I wasn't interested in what they were interested in. So as much as I love the organization, it wasn't a safe space for me as a lesbian. They found out I was gay. Like people started writing letters and stuff. And aside from that, I had also chartered our chapter of the NAACP at the school. There was no NAACP before wow. I touched down on that campus. I found all the advisors and the sponsorship and everything that it took to charter this organization. And then once they found out I was gay, even that was an issue. And they, they wouldn't have been there if it wasn't for me. Um, wow. So 
definitely like I, I was trying to dig in, but I got the chance to leave, went to Disney, really found myself and like dope, flipped, cartwheeled, somersaulted out of the closet. And uh, pretty much the rest is history. I ended up like somewhat coming out to my parents eventually. Yeah. If, uh, if you can call it coming out, because it was more so like, oh, yeah, we're going to keep walking like we to say it. Yeah. 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 It's kind of like hush hush type of thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And so during that time of really being a victim of all of this hate, like what did you keep in mind? What was something that kind of kept you going, kept you fighting for who you were, you know, surrounding yourself by a community? Like, how did you really push through that? Mm, I knew I was right. Mm. And I knew I was great. Mm -hmm. And I knew there was nothing that anybody could say or do to me to prove others otherwise, because I did get into the sorority. I was able to charter this organization. I was on the Student Government Association, like, and, and even when we talk about going into my career as an educator, because I majored in education and ended up teaching for seven years, even with a lot of that, that same pushback, mostly because of my sexuality and, and because of how I present, it was, well, you can't tell me that my test scores aren't better than yours. <laughs> you, can't, you can't tell me that my students aren't outperforming yours. So really, like, I, man, I just watched that Kanye documentary last night and he is still a very terrible person, but I definitely understand the drive because he knew what he knew. And I know, and I've always known what I know that like, I, I just kind of walk in purpose. I, I know, like I, I follow my compass. So it didn't, it didn't matter because nobody's walking my wall. Like yeah. nobody can tell me anything because I know what's in my head. Even when I was growing up in church, like, I had so many questions, like, so it can help me understand this, because if you can't help me understand this, and what I know, I know, I know nobody hurt me, nobody touched me, I'm not dating women because I can't find a man, you know, right. I know what you all are saying is not true, and you cannot tell me that my mind is lying to me, so really just like, I've, I've just always been a very confident and centered person in knowing that, like, I don't have a bad spirit. I'm not trying to hurt anybody or take anything away from anybody. And also in all these things that I've been doing, whether it was with the NAACP or the sorority or the Student Government Association or specifically teaching, I've always been working to uplift others. And if I know that's what I'm doing and it's not like some narcissistic, this is just about me and I want to pat on the back, then nobody can tell me anything. Yeah. Yeah. I got chills multiple times as you were saying all that. I mean, that's just amazing that you just kind of knew. <laughs> like, did you have someone around you that, you know, also walked that way, walked in their purpose that you kind of looked up to? Or, mm-hmm. you know, did you have a relationship with God or, you know, in that knowing with God or I don't know if you're religious or not. But was there somebody that you kind of looked at that you saw that? Again, there were so many of us that it was very competitive. My older sisters were doing everything. They did the pageants. They did the sororities. They were the athletes. And so, like, I immediately had them, as well as my mother, uh, who has a doctorate in education, and she's a principal. Mm -hmm. So she, like, climbed up to the top of that ladder. And my father as well, uh, he's a Vietnam vet who had had his leg blown off and still went on to do to have eight kids and build multiple homes and, you know, just 
just um, my grandmother is 94 and she mm -hmm. still wakes up and works in her garden every day. She can outwork me. So just I have always seen people working hard and pouring into others and pouring into their communities. And those types of people are always going to get the hate and pushback from the people who aren't doing the same. Even if those people just don't understand, we're trying to help you or we're outworking you. So it's not just like these things are handed to me. Um, so I just grew up around it and I never saw anything any other way. I never saw anything any other way. I, I, like I can't even grasp laziness. I can't grasp being a follower because I didn't see that. And the people that I do see being that way, they weren't working towards anything that I wanted. So like, it's really just a family. I come from a very close-knit family. We do group chat every day. All eight of us and my parents, like, and my 94-year-old grandmother, we just tap in. Uh, everybody not, might not log on, but like, just very centered in our family, no matter where we are. All of my siblings are like me. They all wow. work in their own fields, many of them in different states. We're all the same. We all have the same mentality. We're all, like, grinding it out and just yeah. doing like uh, achieving the the unimaginable for real yeah wow that's special so moving into your education not your education but you moving into education being a teacher yeah so what called you because i my mom also has a doctorate in education and was a principal like i have a lot of educators in my family so what mm -hmm. called you into that um were you an educator too no no, you escaped. You already know what it was. At, at first, like when I was younger, I was like, let me help you grade the tests, you know, of your of the your students. And I would help. And I'm like, yeah, I want to be a teacher. This is fun. But then I found out how much money they made. And mm -hmm. I'm like, I, I that's I don't I don't want that. Yeah, and, uh, and you probably found a booger on the test because they put boogers on those <laughs> tests. And at homework, they're like, you're going to see this booger. Yeah. Bitch. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how did I end up in education? Well, my mother was a counselor when I was a child. And, you know, um, counselors eventually became everything but counselors. They handled all of the testing and they really were each school's uh, human resources department. Mm -hmm. So I spent a lot of times in schools. Uh, with my mother when I was growing up and watched her work her way up from teacher to counselor to assistant principal to principal. And I, we lived a nice lifestyle. So I didn't, I didn't realize what the money would look like if I just stayed in the classroom. Um, and I just always had a passion for helping people. And like, I'm a, a good communicator and I understand how to like take people on a journey and engage people. And I, I like to write and I'm a natural at it. So it was just something that really came very naturally to me. Out of all my mother's kids, I was the only one who became a teacher. I have another sister who's a teacher now, but hmm. I was the only one that uh, started off that way because I just wanted to be impactful. Like I grew up a little privileged, I thought, until I saw what real rich looks like, because damn, right. <laughs> these Atlanta kids are little millionaires for real. Yeah. Uh, but I grew up privileged and in Alabama. And so I grew up living under the racism and stereotypes that people have about Black people. But I didn't see anybody like that around me. So yeah. I really wanted to understand and be able to like help and make a difference. So when I did start teaching, like, I 
wasn't one of the teachers who, like, my first teaching job was at one of the best schools, but I felt like, well, if all the best teachers go to the best schools and the best communities, then who's going to help everybody else? So I was very intentional about choosing the worst schools and, like, really, like, understanding my people. I wanted to understand more so than anything, and I wanted to be able to help. So, like, I kind of, like, found a lot of my, like, uh that type of like cultural blackness even and and like I learned just as much from them as they did from me probably but it was very intentional like I wanted to go out and see and learn and understand and like engage with and understand why the hell do people have these stereotypes and maybe even why are why like what is it that that this comes from yeah I I love it how you know kids do teach like kids yeah. teach us so much. And I think sometimes we underappreciate that, whether it's kids, teenagers, parents and kids, like parents can learn from their kids. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So five, six, seven years into teaching, you were fired. I wasn't specifically fired. So I spent like the first five years as an educator in Alabama. And then I moved to Atlanta and began teaching in Clayton County. And then I got the opportunity to teach at an all boys school in Fulton County. So that first year, again, awesome test scores, uh, like got all these teacher awards. I was the department head. For the English department, I'm writing curriculum for the school. You know, like I'm not just blending in. I'm I'm bossed up and a leader. Mm. And so I got married and it was time for insurance open enrollment. And I asked the person who was signing us up if I could add my partner to my insurance. And they said, well, we don't cover that because at the time, same-sex marriage wasn't legal across the country. So he said, we're not, we're not sure we cover that, but I'll ask your employer. And I asked them not to. And they did anyway. And so the next day I got an email. And after that, it was just like a lot of discrimination. Like I went from like getting all these awards and being the department head and getting excellent evaluations to getting horrible evaluations, still producing the same types of test scores. And so the like harassment got to the point, like I'm getting calls to the principal's office and they're just trumping up things so much to the point where I decided to choose my piece and step away. There were threats and just, it became too much. So I left Mm -hmm. uh, because of that discrimination. It did not fire me. I chose to leave. And also at that time, my career as an entertainer had begun to take off. So I chose my peace and happiness and I still, like, I, was, I at the time, I would still substitute teach a little bit. So I still got to engage with the kids because I, I do enjoy them. And I enjoy learning from them as well as, like, sharing with them and helping them understand. Because sometimes all they need is just somebody to, like, meet them where they are to help them get engaged, right? But, yeah, so I left education to walk into entertainment. Almost nine years ago, Atlanta changed my life because I was roasting those kids so well that one of my coworkers came. They were, hey, Atlanta kids are different. Yeah. One of my coworkers came in, he was like, you should consider doing stand-up. Mm. And so um, he had a show called Laugh Your Class Off, Cornelius George. And I did that show. And I practiced my first show in front of my colleagues and, like, getting teachers to say after work for free. Amazing. It was great. Wow. Uh, I really describe it as love at first laugh. And really, the rest is history. I loved it so much. And it was, like, therapeutic as I'm working through right back right back to, like, the, the childhood situation. Um it was therapeutic. It was this like coping mechanism for what I'm going through. So I may not be able to say to the administrators or my coworkers how I'm really feeling, but when I get on that stage, I could hash it out in jokes. So yeah, that's really how it happened. Education made me an entertainer. Mm. 
Yeah. It's all about the journey. It seems like, and it's important for people to be their true authentic selves, of course. But do you think it's even more important for educators to be their true authentic selves because they are, they have kids in the classroom? Like, I, I don't know, would you do anything differently looking back in education? Would you be out sooner? Maybe not because of the discrimination, but just curious. I think visibility is so important. If you grow up as a little black girl who doesn't see any beautiful black dolls and all you see is the image of beauty is blue eyes and blonde hair, like you don't feel worthy and you don't understand that you're beautiful. If you grow up as a little queer kid in the South and you don't see any gay people around you and all you hear is negativity, you don't see any successful gay people, then you don't know that it's a possibility. And I did not know that it was a possibility. And like, it's so important that kids are faced with reality before they're adults. Like, and uh, because for me, I didn't know what I could be. I didn't know what I could do. I didn't know like if I could ever be out. Cause I, I always knew I was a lesbian before I knew it. Anything about what it was, I knew. Mm-hmm. I like girls, like I didn't know you know, you you grow up with this image of like this white dress and this picket fence and you get this husband and a bunch of kids. And I knew I didn't want any of that. And so it's like, if you don't have those images, how do you know what you could possibly even be? Like I said, after I left education full-time, I began substitute teaching all over Atlanta public schools and like Seeing those queer kids, those little young queer kids come up to me at the beginning, before class even started, they would get in there early. They would slide to me and say, hey, I know what the role says, but this is my name and this, these are my pronouns. Like, or just seeing those kids just out and flamboyant, it touched my heart because I know that like things are changing. Even with uh, one of the things that I do, so I sit on the mayor's LGBTQ advisory board and I also uh, sit on Atlanta Public Schools LGBTQ task force. And a part of what we did was go in and rewrite policy just to like etch out opportunities for discrimination. And sometimes all it takes is including one word in a policy that's already written. So we protect against this discrimination and this discrimination and this. And it would have made the difference in me being comfortable staying in the workplace or not. So like I've literally gotten to sit down. In in the superintendent's building and rewrite this policy specifically, rewrite this policy that goes out in the handbook to the hundreds of of APS teachers uh, or thousands of employees. Like, and again, that's why I say I know I am walking in my purpose. Mm. I know I'm walking in my purpose because how could that be that I left this this profession that I dedicated over a decade of my life to because of a discrimination that I was able to write out of policy in this same city. I I know, can't nobody tell me I'm not doing exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. Yeah, I love that. Thank you for sharing. It reminds me of my school and I know the feeling I get when I can go back to my elementary school or my high school and show myself for who I am instead of who I used to be in high school, which is a closeted lesbian. And I'm not writing policy or anything, but I just know how good it feels to go back and be like, you didn't break me. Like I'm still who I am. Right. And 
and so it's either it's even next level to be writing policy to be helping the teachers and students who are there now. So yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that that um, and we need to see more of that. The visibility is important. I can remember sitting in a parent conference with a dad who was calling his son a faggot and saying that he sent him to the all boys school so it would toughen him up and how he was ashamed of him and he was going to beat it out of him. And I'm too afraid because he was like, what is he going to be like? Do you see any of them being successful ever anywhere? And I couldn't even say, like, I'm sitting right here in front of you, first of all, and I'm educated and I'm working in my field. Like, it's terrible. It leads to so much like crazy, uh, like blackmailing and so many unnecessary situations. It's, it's unnecessary. Yeah. Definitely the visibility is important. And, yeah. and kudos to you for going to your school, uh, because I honestly... I haven't even taken that moment. I haven't even taken that moment. I haven't even taken that moment. I need to go back. So moving on to comedy, were you ever afraid? So you, you started stand-up. Were you ever afraid of, during your comedy, talking about being a lesbian, like being out? Were you ever afraid to talk about that stuff? Well, um, you touched on this a little bit when you said, you know, you just have to be one thing. And like I, I do. So I, I dabble in so many different things. There were so many people who had so much advice about, oh, well, you can't box yourself into that gay shit. Or, oh, how can you be producing this when you should be focusing on that? I got a lot of that. But again, uh, first of all, I didn't see those people having what I knew I wanted and what I was capable of. And I can honestly say that when I've come across those people who gave me those speeches, they take it back and say, hey, why don't y'all never book me for pride? Hey, when you gonna book me on one of your little gay shows? Like, yeah, I, I don't need anybody telling me that. It's just like saying, well, what's the necessity of a Black History Month? Like, the visibility is important. And a lot of times, People will only be receptive to some of these conversations if you, you know, put a little sugar and some jokes on it because they need to right. hear how they make us feel. Mm -hmm. They need to hear about the difficult and complex situations that we get put into, just like it's important to understand the difference in how black people respond to when we get pulled over compared to how white people might feel. You might feel rushed. We might feel terrified, like, oh, my God, am I going to die? So, it, like, yeah, I had people telling me that. And... I've ne I just never questioned it because nobody can tell me what my truth is. You can't. I went to a comedy show at a local comedy club that's in the Rainbow Square about mm. three weeks ago. And I saw two lesbian performers who I know to be lesbians telling jokes about. Can I say what they were telling jokes about? Nasty. <laughs> they were telling jokes about sucking dicks. Mm. I will never. I will never, I will never bow down like that. And it was like, yeah. it just, it was crazy to me. Like, I don't want to have to do that. Why would you lie? Why would I like work so hard to like get my voice out there then tell someone else's story? Why on earth would I like be my own oppressor? I don't care what they have to say about it because I, I live off of this community. This is all I do. Yeah. So yeah, I got it. I got the pushback, but it was like, okay, well you do you. You stay on this open mic circuit and I'm going to be booked on prize all across the country and outside of the country. So you worry about your straight little self and whatever open mic you busting because I got places to go and things to do. Yeah. 
So basically you just pay attention to people, you know, you, you listen to it, you hear the advice, but you only pay attention to really what's helpful. Yeah. Have you gotten helpful advice? Helpful advice. Early on in my career, I met Steve Harvey and he told me that I need to get a laugh every eight seconds. So when I'm really writing, like, right. And and it's possible. It's very, writing is formulaic uh, for me. And so like, it's possible. So I was already running a set. I had like a hot little 30 minutes and I met him and I went back and I rewrote it and it stretched out to 45. And that's the set that I toured with for years. Uh, So Steve Harvey helped me a lot, which is funny because I never was like a big fan, but I I do admire how many different things he has his hands on. You know, he's constantly working and he did help me be a better comic and like instilling me a little bit more drive because I have intentionally chosen a more difficult path by catering to a small percentage of a small percentage of the community. So like, I had to just dig in a little bit differently. Uh, so that was good advice. I had so many people trying to tell me, try, sell me comedy classes and, and all of this stuff. And it's a waste because you see these people pay all this money. And then all they do is go right back to that same place as open mics. I can say that, like, I don't know. I haven't chosen a conventional route because I don't have a conventional career. I specialize in all things gay on purpose. I want to be comfortable. I want to be able to tell my stories. So why would I listen to them and their paths when I'm not trying to walk their paths? And I also don't see their supposed paths working out for them. Yeah, I I love that because you're definitely a leader, you know, in that lesbian aspect. I don't want to say aspect, but that, you know, that avenue of just being all things gay like you said you know you don't have you're not trying to cater to everybody you're just really catering to who you attract like exactly yeah I don't want to have to beg anybody for acceptance but those people still come because I'm also very intentional about putting other people on so I might it might be a a Kia and Co-ENT event but the stars of it are the performers I've booked the live band that I've booked the dancers the models and All of those people have families who haven't had a chance to see them living their best lives. So they come out there and see them light up on the runway or see them light up on the stage or see them light up on the mic. And it's like bridging this gap because they a lot of the people, especially the straight families and friends that come out to support those that I've booked, they've never been to a gay event before. They've never been to a lesbian bar. They've never seen an entire lesbian lineup. And so Mm -hmm. like... It's like bridging a gap and like extending that branch, like come and see that we're more alike than we are different. So yeah, like it's, it's doing the work. I didn't understand that it would play out this way that it has. And I'm not going to act like, oh, I had a roadmap 20 years ago. It's just been very like organic and being centered in my purpose and knowing like I'm helping other people and can't nobody tell me shit. Unless they, unless they on the same path, and I don't know how you can be on the yeah. same path as me because I don't even know what my path is. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, I love that. And so, like speaking of you know visibility, you do so many events around Atlanta and the country. You've traveled the country with your shows. Everything. Uh, yeah, all of which have kind of been fueled by the roadblocks you've encountered you have or had, I don't know um, where you're at with this, but the androgynous fashion show. 
The Andro Fashion Show. The Andro Fashion was, Show. That was great. I got to work with LGBTQ designers from all across the world. Wow. I had designers shipping in from Canada, from Europe, uh, like from all over. It was great. Um, and also a great opportunity for an often overlooked community to feel beautiful, you know, and to be appreciated and celebrated, not just accepted. Mm-hmm. Um, because again, masculine presenting queer women walk through life differently than like uh, cis white men or, 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 or other women or even other feminine presenting lesbians. I, yeah. I guarantee you that most films haven't had a man try to shake their hand so hard that they broke it. You know, we, we have a very different experience. So that show was about like highlighting androgyny and our fashion and our style because like I like to dress and I like fashion and style I haven't done that show since the pandemic began uh right before the pandemic started I had laid out an entire tour I was taking it to Mm. college campuses and everything and COVID had other plans and um for me bringing together that big of a group of people during this doesn't make sense because I run with 30 models and I absolutely don't want to like I didn't want to I don't think it's feasible at this moment. Maybe as things change, yes. And I love that show. And, you know, it was great for the community. But yeah, it's it's on pause right now. Now I'm more so into producing um, music and comedy shows. Yeah. Um, and also from that, I did an erotic show for a little while. Okay. Just really digging into like, first of all, the things that I enjoy and am passionate about. Um, the shows that I want to see produced because for me it's also very much so like filling voids well I want to see this so I I wish somebody had put on that so why can't I do it I know singers I know dancers I know models yeah and that was so it's soulful Saturday is that Mm -hmm. right Um, yeah and so you wanted to give people of color what, whether queer or not, right? Just a comfortable space to perform and walk in their purpose. My last, my past Soulful Saturday, which was just this past Saturday, I booked a gay black male, very much so feminine presenting on my show. And I didn't tell him what the venue was. When I sent him the flyer, he was terrified because he had performed at that venue before and was pretty much booed off the stage. When they saw him walk on the stage, uh, they started flashing their lights and the band refused to play for him. So So when he saw Apache on that flyer, he was terrified. And I told him, I was like, no, I've been producing this show. It's a safe space. We're welcomed and, and loved. And so I ended up giving him a ride home after this past Saturday. Saturday's show, he had an amazing show. And it was just, you could tell that it was therapeutic. He lived on stage and the audience ate it up. And he was his big gay self and they loved it. And like like afterwards, like tears welled up in his eyes. He was so excited to just share that experience of how much it's changed since then. Yeah. Right. Like so, so yeah, um, and, and not even just black people, but I, I do. My fan base is a lot of queer people of color and uh, also a lot of my talent. But yeah, I just, I want to do it for everybody. I want, I want us to have a stage to perform on. Why, like, what do we have to have our talents in our apartment? We playing on the balcony or something. We deserve to be able to see and support each other and to be able to like share our craft with one another. Yeah. And I remember going to one of those shows a few months back and the talent is incredible. 
Thank you. Yeah. Poetry and music, I I believe, is what I heard that night. And it was incredible. And I was so fascinated by how free-flowing you were on the mic, just going around and talking with everybody and just as a host in general. Like, I enjoy hosting and I want to be better at hosting live shows. And so just watching you just be so comfortable on the mic and dancing and playing around and doing jokes kind of off the cuff. That was so fun to watch. And I think that makes like a really good show, right? Is a is an engaged host. Thank you. Yeah. I I felt like I had um I can't acknowledge that I fell back from comedy as I got busier producing events. But the good part of that is that I got so comfortable on stage because I'm doing damage control. I'm I'm I'm, I'm handling so many things and I still have to like do crowd control and be the calm face that's making it fun. So it's nothing that anybody could say on me to, uh, to me on stage now because I've become such a strong host because I deal with everything. Drunk folks, yeah. heartbroken singers that don't know if they can go up and sing this song that they wrote about their ex who's oh. in the crowd with her new girlfriend, you know? <laughs> like, it, it, it definitely yeah. made me a stronger host and yeah. gave me so much material. I, up until a week ago, had not written a new set in seven years. Mm. Seven years it took me to write, to finally like sit down and dig back in because I started like, I had a strong set and I toured that and I was so busy producing. So like, I also want to say I'm super excited to be digging so deep back into comedy Mm-hmm. Um, and excited to work with you and all the dope things that you're doing because I know you're making boss moves as well. So I can't wait to share a stage with you Yeah. again. Yeah, yeah, same, same. And I, I kind of want to know your process of getting these ideas, like of the Andro Fashion Show or the other shows that you've toured with. What's the process look like of you getting those ideas? Obviously, it's from those roadblocks or those things that you wanted to see, but really creating the events and building them so where you can tour across the country. Like, I think sometimes I try to do everything on my own. Uh, So do you have a team, like people that you kind of connect with? Like, what's that whole process look like? I do my own graphics. I do my own promoting and production, sometimes videography. I've recently hired an assistant who redid my website and helps me with scheduling a little bit. But for the longest, it's just been me, like, using my teacher brain so I understand how to engage people and to meet them where they are. And I took that into my productions. And because I've always been a little bit like politically engaged and working with these organizations, just digging in with these organizations, uh, staying plugged into communities, reaching out and very specifically asking what communities want to see and then figuring out how I can give them what they want as well as things that I may have been curious about. And also um, building it up around so many other people as well. You know, like um, these artists, these big name artists, they don't need a feature, but it just helps to like bring in other people as well, you know? Um, So I just work with, I try to work with all the LGBTQ artists who are are hungry and self-motivated. And I don't know, I'm kind of maniacal with it. I'll get on a task, like literally, I've thought of things on the toilet. Um, And since I make my own graphics, I do it on my phone. 
I'll come up with a color scheme and like create the flyer in a couple hours. And I'm just sitting there on my phone texting people. Hey, do you want to do this? Hey, I saw on social media that you have this. Like, what's this look like? What's your rate or whatever? So like really just, I don't do anything else. And so I work all the time. I'm always open to digging in on a task. And it's one of the like blessings and curses of working for yourself. But I just, I want to get it done. That's all I want to get done. Yeah. I love that because I've seen people where they're like, I don't want to do these little things. And as a leader, you kind of have to be willing to do the things, all all of the things, you know, from from the top to the bottom, whatever it looks like, little tasks, big tasks, however you would classify it. Was there ever a moment or a time in your life when you doubted yourself? I cannot doubt myself because then I failed. And if I don't believe in myself, how can anybody else believe in me? What does doubting myself look like? Going back to my mama's house and giving up, going back into the classroom of whoever will hire me. I can't, I can't doubt myself. I can't think of like even any time when things didn't specifically go my way, like I used that as fire and motivation to come back even bigger and better. Like, I don't even have a a panic mode. It's more so like back into a corner, I'm gonna fight my way out. Like, no, I can't say that I have. I, I have had failures and it didn't even make me doubt myself. It just made me know, well, I don't, this microphone must be messed up. These people probably <laughs> have some swimmers here or something. Cause I know what I know. So uh, I'm gonna make it do what it do. Yes. I can't, I can't, I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. I am my ancestors' dreams. I cannot do it. I cannot do it. I think about like the stories my I'm from Alabama. The stories my my dad told me about helping desegregate the chemical plant that he worked at. Or what I saw my mother go through as an administrator. Or what I know my grandmother went through. Like nothing can can stop this because I know what I came from. And I know I'm built tough. And I know if they could overcome all of those things with what resources that I have and build me up to where I am today, I don't have anything to worry about. So no, do not. I do not. For real. Beast mode. I almost wasn't going to ask you that question just because of what you had said thus far, but I thought I would get you and I didn't. I didn't. Nah. You're unbreakable. And you know, I as you were saying that, I'm like, doubting yourself is kind of a luxury. Like just the idea of doubting yourself, it's like, oh, congratulations, you have you have the luxury of doing that. Whereas, you know, your ancestors did did not. Right. They had to persevere. Right. Yeah. Right. Hey. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's it. Yeah. It's a luxury. Yeah. I'm happy you said that. I will say doubting yourself is a luxury. I'm gonna say that to somebody and they're gonna be like, yeah. get over yourself, okay? <laughs> right, right. So what is something you are doing these days to level up, to push yourself to get better at? Uh, Well, I'm writing again. I'm hiring people on to help me because I think when you have my type of mindset uh, and that mindset is like, I have to accomplish these things and I'm not as emotional of a person because it's like, that's a luxury and I have time for that later. Sometimes it can cause conflicts. And so that's made me jaded in working with people because 
I'm not necessarily going to be the best person to help you work through your feelings. I'm trying to accomplish this goal and we can get back to that later. So it made me jaded and not wanting to work with people for the longest. So at this point now, I'm just getting comfortable hiring on another entertainer to help me host parties or to help me book comics or even hiring on this assistant to help me with my website that I have been uh, pretty much managing on my own. So I'm helping myself and getting better by opening up to allow people to help me. That's great. Yeah, thank you. Okay, last question. Before we answer this, though, how can we support you? Where can we find you online? Key comedy, uh, of course. What are you What are you up to? How can we support? I have a comedy show every third Friday at MSR Lesbian Bar, aka My Sister's Room, the only lesbian bar in the Southeast. I also host some pretty wild parties there every Friday called Film Friday. I will be doing a show on April 14th. Uh, it's a drive-in. Yeah. I also will be working with Reverie TV on a McDonald's promotion uh, that should be out pretty soon. Um, just uh, all out and about. I have a comedy show in New Orleans for uh, 4th of July weekend. Really trying to get back out on the road and get back to like actually being comfortable building up a tour. So you can find me on social media at Kia Comedy. My website is www.kiabarns.com. Cool. Awesome. Yes. Go support her. Look out for her shows. She may be coming to your city, wherever you're at. Okay. Last question. What advice would you give to someone who has a path they want to follow? Like in the back of their mind that are like, this is a, is the path I want to follow, but they keep getting told that that's not the way to go. How do they listen to themselves and continue on their path and persevere just on that path? What advice would you give them? You know, some people are wrong. And if they listen to themselves, they're going to be wrong. Um, I would say stay true to your passions and don't just do it for yourself. Consider the impact that you will make. You like consider your impact. Consider your impact, and don't just do it for yourself. Go into the work centered in your purpose, and make sure that your purpose is positivity. Because there's enough negativity out there. Like move in love. Do it in love. Do it with love. Center it in love. Don't hurt anybody. And you will be blessed from that. Yes, so good. I I feel like I needed to hear that. Sometimes when I'll post on social media or go out and perform, I'll be so focused on myself. I'm like, will people think I'm funny? Will this do well? But I I have, you know, switched a mindset into like, somebody needs to see this. Somebody needs to have a laugh right? Somebody needs to be inspired. Somebody needs to see somebody who looks like me. And so it takes a lot of pressure off and it again, like, yeah, feels like I'm doing it through love and, and there's no pressure with that. It's almost a ministry. We as masculine presenting queer women who are, are like silence. Nobody hears from us. They don't even have us in porn. Like we're nowhere. We are writing our own history right Mm -hmm. now your jokes, your performances, and like, 
We need to see us. We need to hear us. We need to know that it's possible. We, and aside from communicating with our own community, other people need to hear us. Like, you know, it really is, for lack of a better word, it is a, a ministry. We are doing the work just in sharing our stories. It makes people understand better. That is not just, oh, she wears ball caps and plaid shirts. It's so much more. It's so much. This, but yes, that's all. That's all. Yeah. So good. kudos to you. Keep going. I want to see you on stage more. I am vowing to be on stage more myself. Cool. Like, let's hit a room together soon. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for doing this again. And this was an awesome conversation. And I'm sure it will help a lot of people, truly. Um, yeah. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening to Level Up with Shay. We will talk to you next time. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If anything that Kia said today resonated with you, please share this episode on Instagram and tag me at Level Up with Shay and tag Kia at Kia Comedy. All of her social media links are in the show notes. So go over there and show her some love and support. Subscribe to Level Up with Shay wherever you get your podcasts. Again, thank you so much for being here. It's time to level up.